Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. Serving the community for over 75 years, Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, who is studying a new surgical technique that allows surgeons to make repairs to the heart without having to open the chest cavity and while the heart is beating. Info at PinnacleHealth.org. Hey, good morning. Terry Madonna here. I'm a professor at Franklin and Marshall College. I'm often on the other side of the table, but today I'm substituting for a vacationing Scott Lamar. Uh, And I know you would expect that we would do a good bit about state and national politics, but that is not the case. We're going to talk about medical marijuana. Joining us in the studio today are Heather Stauffer. She's a reporter with LNP and LNP News. Judy Castle, she's an attorney with Cannabis Law PA, a legal organization that provides guidance to the cannabis industry. And joining us over the phone is John Polhouse. He's the CEO of Franklin Labs, a permitted cultivator and dispenser of medical marijuana, and Patrick Nightingale. He's the executive director of the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society. Uh, Heather, Judy, John, Patrick, thank you for joining us. Well, let's get started. Thank you very much for having us on. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, This is a fascinating topic that has a hundred different angles to it. We're going to try to get through as many as we can. I want to start with Heather with just a couple of the of the basics and feel free to join in, jump in, get into the discussion. We want to have a freewheeling discussion. As I said, this co- subject is very complicated. I think most viewers are, and listeners know very, very little about it. So Heather, let's start with a fundamental question. When will the patients be able to get mar- medical marijuana in the state of Pennsylvania? For most people, early 2018 is what we're hearing from the Department of Health. There was a special exemption authorizing parents to administer medical marijuana obtained outside the state to children with epilepsy and other conditions last year. But everyone else has to wait. Right. Now, there's 17 conditions. I'm not even going to try to read them. It would take us the full hour. But when you look at these conditions, and there are a whole host of things from glaucoma to sickle cell anemia to autism to AIDS, cancer. I mean, it, it, certainly, uh, it certainly runs the, the gamut of, of illnesses, and it looks like it gives uh, doctors in this state, uh, Judy, a fair amount of discretion, doesn't it? Yes, Pennsylvania Department of Health has um, built into the statutes and the regulations um, many things that assist the physicians um, in their endeavor to provide this medicine to people who need it. All right, let's go to an, another important question. Is And I noticed that I'm not far from an expert on this. I do politics. This is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, but I'll try to get through it. So here, here's, here's a question. Different states, I understand, Heather, have different requirements for how you get what I'll call documentation. In other words, the permission to get medical marijuana. What's the Pennsylvania situation? How, do, how, how would you become a patient? Let me ask you that. You would need to get a certification from a doctor who is authorized to participate in the program. So it can't just be any doctor. You will also need to register with the state, something that we're not sure entirely what it will look like yet. And then you will need to get take that certification to a dis- medical marijuana dispensary. Yeah. Now, there's an interesting legal question here about why they call this a certification. And Judy's smiling here because she knows exactly where I'm going with this. A a prescription versus a certification, is that legal jargon? Well, sort of, but um, it stems from the fact that, as many people know, medical marijuana or marijuana is still listed on the Controlled Substance Act Schedule 1. And what that means is that the federal government has deemed that all of those uh, 
products on that Schedule 1 are of no medical value. And as long as they're on Schedule 1, a doctor who prescribes any of them can lose their license. So states have gotten around that by saying that a physician may recommend or certify a patient to use medical marijuana. And I will add one thing. This getting around the prescription was tested in 2002 in the Ninth Circuit, where the DOJ did pursue physicians in an effort to prosecute them for recommending. And the Ninth Circuit held that the doctor was entitled to free free speech protection Mm -hmm. and therefore could recommend. Now, the Ninth Circuit is not presidential, but there has not been another um, case like it since 2002. Okay. So ultimately, what if you're a patient, what you have to do is get a medical ID card. Is that correct? Terry, Patrick Nightingale yeah. uh, from Go. Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society weighing in here. You know, this is going right uh, directly to our mission of trying to make sure that patients you know, understand what steps they need to take to be proactive in reaching out to either their physicians or reaching out to other patients uh, who have physicians who are willing to participate in this program. One of the biggest obstacles facing patients right now that we have seen in other states, such as New York and Illinois, is that if physicians are not willing to register with the program, then necessarily patients are being shut out. Uh, In New York, they estimated that their patient population was going to be close to 400,000, but because physicians are not registering with the program, their Mm -hmm. patient population is under 20,000. And that's a medical cannabis program that is in the process of, of potentially failing. So here in Pennsylvania, we know that uh, the physician participation is critical to patient access, and that's part of our continuing mission as a nonprofit sure. to make sure that uh, that we you know educate patients, get information to patients, so that they can have uh, informed conversations with their physicians. Patrick, do you have any sense about how that? Uh you know, the, the Pennsylvania Medical Society has been somewhat skeptical of all of this, as, as I think you, you're, you're the expert, as you know. Do you think that ultimately physicians in this state are going to buy into this? Well, I think that first and foremost, we have to look at some of our major health care uh, providers like UPMC or uh, Kaiser Permanente or Geisinger, and these uh, medical organizations are giving the green light to their physicians to you know, explore this, to be uh, willing to participate in this. I have a UPMC physician here in Pittsburgh, and I have a qualifying condition, and I talked to him about it, and he said that you know, he was not getting any type of uh, uh, pushback from UPMC, that he was interested in, in exploring this. But with most physicians that I've talked to, when I said to him, what would you recommend for me? His answer was, I have absolutely no idea. And I think that that's one of the things that uh, physicians are going to be concerned about, that yes, they're open to this concept of medical cannabis, but they don't know how specifically to address a patient's um, particular medical condition in terms of products or dosing, so on and so forth. And that's something where we hope to to provide relevant and credible information. Okay, Judy. Um, I just want, Patrick, that's excellent information. And I just wanted to add something that you know, but the viewers may not, is that all the physicians will be taking a four-hour course prior to being able to recommend medical marijuana to their patients. And you're absolutely right. DOH has provided for, I think, eight licenses in the Pennsylvania that will encompass medical schools and colleges so that research can go out to support doctors' um, recommendations of this um, medicine. Yeah. <clears throat> Heather, you write in, in, in your piece that obviously something we're talking about, doctors don't have to participate if they don't want. That's the whole point of this discussion right now, and it's an important point. So you could have a family doc, and the doctor may say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get involved in this because of the complexity of it. Right. I also talked to one doctor who said he wasn't planning to be involved because he thought it would be a big bother. He thought to do to certify a patient properly would take more time than it's probably worth. And he thought he would be flooded with people trying to get medical marijuana if he signed up. So he said, not for me. And yeah. Terry, the, the Go DOH ahead. is going to list, have a list on their website of physicians that um, are um, certified to recommend, although doctors themselves are not allowed to advertise that fact, there will be a source that people can find out, well, what doctors, you know, if I've tried everything right. else, what doctors can I go to for care that might be open to recommending this if appropriate? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm going I'm to get to uh, John in a moment, but before, before I do, I mean, look, look, look at the, the basic facts now. 
29 states, as I understand it, in the District of Columbia have medical marijuana. Are we learning anything from those states? What's right? What's wrong? How to do it? How to implement the Pennsylvania law, which is also, as I understand it, has a ton of regulations in it. It's not a freewheeling law. Have we learned anything from those other states that apply here that our listeners uh, should be aware of? You're absolutely right. Pennsylvania, I will applaud DOH on many counts, one of which is their um, careful, methodic way of reviewing all of the other states' regulations and put something together that took the very best of some of those other states. And I think the regulations provide a very um, detailed and clear outline on how people can stay compliant in all aspects, whether it's laboratories, physicians, grower processors, dispensaries. DOH has done an excellent job of that. Well, this is a great segue for me to get John Polhouse in. He's the CEO of Franklin, uh, Franklin Labs. And uh, as I understand it, John, you're one of the pioneers in the cultivation and dispensation of pharmaceutical-grade medical cannabis, and, and uh, this has been done in other states. What's the progress report on, you know, will there be medical marijuana in the state by next year when it's available, you know, when when legally the folks are eligible to go to a physician with a card and get and get the medical cannabis. Right. Thank you very much. Um, we have a pretty integrated team that's been doing this for nine years in Colorado, about four years in New Jersey, and we won uh, licenses and um, Delaware and Maryland. So this would be our fifth state. Um, so we've applied uh, things we've learned th- through those experiences to try to get best-in-class practices for Pennsylvania, which is a different market because it is a medical-only market, which is only extracts. So it's really a combination of industrial agriculture and pharmaceutical-grade methodology to try to create science and medicine versus agricultural products um, with better strain-dependent. And the Department of Health um, has a deadline for December 20th to start growing, Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to try to get earlier than that. Uh, we need to be cleared by the Department of Health before we can put seeds in the ground or use clones. Um, and we're, we're trying to get as early as possible um, for next year. Okay, you're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. We're discussing the state's medical cannabis program. Joining us are Heather Stauffer. She's a reporter with LNP News. Judy Castle, an attorney with Cannabis Law of Pennsylvania, and on the line are John Polhouse, CEO of Franklin Labs, a medical marijuana cultivator, and Patrick Nightingale. He's the executive director of the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society. I must say that I had no clue that, that there was a Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society and that there were now law firms that have the specialization in this. That's I guess I'm a little naive, but I never realized... Judy Castle uh, is sitting in front of me. She's with Cannabis Law PA. I mean, this is not just heading into the billions of dollars uh, nationwide. I think it's up to $7 billion. There are some estimates it could go to $20 billion, this industry. 20, uh, when, you, when you look at the number of states that have it, and I talked about that a moment ago, 29 states and the District of Columbia. So we're talking about a huge industry. Who wants to jump in on that one? <laughs> well, well, I, Judy, think, I was going to say. Well, I think John knows firsthand since he's been in different states yeah. and he's he's lived this. Um, but you're absolutely right. Um, but beyond being a big money business of five to ten billion dollars over the next couple of years, um, growers like um, John are subject and compliant probably with the most stringent security measures. So your your viewers and your listeners might be interested in the fact that these are some of the safest um, facilities uh, amongst all of the medical facilities that are in our state. You talk about a CVS or a hospital; they don't have the security that these grower and processors are supposed to have. They're very professional. 
professional businesses. It's not just about the money. It's about curing patients and giving them alternative to things like opioids. And we could talk all day about that one. Um, but I, I encourage John to enter in here about yeah. um, about <clears throat> uh, about his business and how um, professional and um, careful the grower processors are. Yeah, John, go yeah, ahead. We um, well, we're we're based in Reading, Pennsylvania, and the city of Reading has been tremendously helpful. Mayor Wally Scott uh, welcomed us, and we took over a 46,000-square-foot uh, Pepsi distribution facility, which uh, shut down uh, probably a year before we took it over, or maybe a year and a half. Um, so we're very excited to get back into Reading and be able to transfer jobs there. Uh, our first hire is a director of security from the state police. It was lieutenant in state police. And every inch of that facility's internal and external, well, internal, will be under surveillance. So we'll, we'll have uh, cameras. We've blocked up all the, the doors. And we'll have armed guards in that facility um, just to make sure that Mm-hmm. Every everyone's safe and the facility is secure. So security is our primary concern. And then besides security, we really are trying to do things differently. So we're trying to use a pharmaceutical model of manufacturing, which if we ever get off of class one, we would be as FDA compliant as possible. Everything that we grow doesn't have any pesticides, so it's as organic as possible. And we use data acquisition, data monitoring, computer-controlled equipment with half of our facility being aeroponics, which is grown in air, um, and half being traditional controlled drip hydroponics where it's grown in soil. So we're really trying to measure every input into the plant growth cycle and after it's harvested the extraction cycle using co2 okay. uh, supercritical extraction machines to make oils so it's, it's so that it, it, if a it's, doctor needs to replicate it it can be replicated as closely as possible um, with exact science behind it, so instead it's, of it's just very growing. professional, very complicated. It sounds like it's not uh, an easy business to get into. At any rate, uh, if you uh, want to give us a call, you have a question for our experts in the studio and on the phone eight hundred seven two nine seven five three two. You can also email us at smarttalk at witf dot org. Patrick, let me get you into this discussion. The Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society, as I, as I understand it from the descriptions that I've read in the last couple of days, you do a good bit of counseling. Do, do you also get out into the field and teach, uh, you know, how to, how to defend yourself if you you know, face a legal problem? Well, interestingly, by, uh, by profession, I'm a uh, criminal defense attorney, and as we start to um, educate and work with patients more, uh, I can guarantee you that uh, we're telling patients about the provisions of Act 16 that require, for example, keeping medical cannabis products in their original packaging. Uh, one cannot take a, a medical cannabis product out of that original packaging or use that packaging to perhaps store uh, flour or uh, plant material that's not authorized under Act 16. We also want to make sure that patients understand that Act 16 provides a strict 10 nanogram per milliliter uh, DUI threshold and that uh, patients may very well uh, run the risk of a a DUI charge even if they're using their medical cannabis products pursuant to their uh, physician's recommendation. Uh, Patients have to also understand that there are civil protections from things such as uh, uh, family uh, or custody uh, prejudice, a, a medical cannabis recommendation cannot be used against the parents in custody proceedings. And there are certain limited employment uh, protections. However, with the way that Act 16 is written, and I'm sure that Judy uh, can weigh in on this as well, it's kind of ambiguous. You know, what constitutes a, a workplace? 
what uh, would require an employer to accommodate medical cannabis use, or when can an employer say, no, we, we're not going to accommodate this whatsoever, and in fact, uh, you are not permitted to work in our facility. These are some real, real questions moving forward, and we want to make sure that we have every opportunity through um, uh, putting on events, uh, seeking sponsors so that we can get out into the community and talk directly to patients because there are as many questions as there are answers right now as we continue to roll out this program. Well, well here, here, here's another question. It's, it's my understanding, and you can correct me, that the Trump administration has a task force on crime reduction and public safety led by Attorney General uh, Jeff Sessions. We'll have to find out if he's still the Attorney General. That's that's a big, contra- big controversy going on right now, as I think you know and our, and our listeners know. And if they link marijuana to, uh, let's put, you know, violent crimes, and we get much tougher sentences as a result of that, and some states respond, what is that going to do? We have eight states that now have legalized uh, mar- recreational marijuana, and as I indicated, 29 states in D.C. that have recreational. Does that open up the door for a serious problem in implementing the Pennsylvania law? Any- anyone who wants to jump in? Uh, Terry Patrick here. I'll, I'll weigh in on that a little bit. I do practice uh, federal criminal defense, and as far as I'm concerned, it's as easy as the Department of Justice sending uh, uh, cease and desist letters or shutdown letters to actual license holders to put a, a chill on this industry across the country. Uh, I think if the Department of Health begins to do that, it will focus on uh, recreational marketplaces, right. probably uh, Colorado, ab initio. Uh, but when it comes to Pennsylvania, uh, when Jeff Sessions announced uh, that he wanted to seek federal funds to crack down on uh, medical marijuana states, uh, uh, in violation of the Rohrabacher Farr Amendment, uh, Governor Tom Wolf said Pennsylvania will resist right. uh, federal intervention any way that it possibly can. And I'm fascinated. Could that possibly result in a, a standoff between uh, state troopers and DEA agents uh, <laughs> trying to shut down medical cannabis facilities? But for the moment, I'm very heartened by the fact that our governor uh, has said, I will protect Pennsylvanians. Yeah, well, uh, maybe it won't be much different than uh, certain cities in our country that won't enforce the federal law when it comes to sanctuary cities, right? So we could we could be seeing more of that. Look, we have a, a, a great question from Ann in Harrisburg. She wants to know, given given the fact that this is a growing industry, is it something that people should invest in? Are, are, companies, are there companies around that, you know, she that folks can be made aware of to make an investment? Uh, Are these companies uh, public? Will they be public? That's a couple of, I think, very significant questions given the perhaps, you know, unusual state of the financing of medical marijuana. Terry, I'll just say that financing is a huge issue in this industry because um, the banking laws are impacted by federal statutes and regulations. So this is basically a cash business. That being said, there are investment opportunities out there for people. Um, And I would encourage um, people to go to our website, Cannabis Law PA. We have a lot of good information there for all different types of people that are just interested in knowing more about the industry and the pitfalls and the problems and issues that this industry faces. Yeah. Uh, you know, Terry, one thing that I can... Who is oh, this? I'm sorry. Private banking. Go um, ahead. You know, we, we're very good because we've been doing this a long time, and we have private banking um, for our facilities. Uh, the cash business is really dangerous, so it, if you investigate... Um, different state charter banks, it's, it's possible to get some banking relationships, which is so much more uh, secure and safe than cash only. Okay. Uh, and, and Terry, what I wanted to, to add was the fact that there, as John knows, there is an entire industry uh, uh, throughout the country catering to the emerging medical cannabis industry. You know, the growers need lighting systems. The growers need watering systems. The growers need security systems. The growers need uh, software tracking. Uh, the growers need uh, nutrients. Uh, dispensaries are going to need packaging materials. They're going to need shelving. They're going to need uh, uh, their own security system and uh, software inventory tracking. So it's not just 
the, the opportunities to become involved is not merely can I invest in a licensed grow or a licensed dispensary, but for someone looking for opportunities, take a look at some of the collateral industries that are supporting the growers and supporting the dispensaries and look for uh, opportunities to become involved uh, with them. Patrick, that's an excellent point. Um, we represent laboratories. We represent people who are creating ancillary products to the business on how to administer the products that are legal in Pennsylvania um, for patients to use. So uh, kudos for you for bringing that up because the job market is going to be stimulated not only by the growers and the processors and the dispensaries, but all these ancillary businesses, and that's an excellent point. All right, Brent, Brent yeah, is on. Yeah, just aren't that many jobs with the limited number of licenses that we have, so... You know, I think that uh, that savvy um, uh, either employment seekers or investment seekers are going to to look outside of, of just the limited uh, licensing right. licensing box. Brent is on the phone in Harrisburg. Uh, hold hold on, Brent. We're going to run to a quick break. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR news and all things regional. I'm Terry Madonna. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health Spine Institute, offering a complete range of services to diagnose and treat your spine condition. More information is available at pinnaclehealth.org spine. We're talking about the state's medical cannabis program uh, with uh, a number of guests. There, uh, actually, four of them, believe, believe it or not. Heather Stauffer's here from LNP News. Uh, Judy Castle, she's an attorney with Cannabis Law. John Polhouse, he's the CEO of Franklin Labs. They they do medical mar- They're a medical marijuana cultivator. And Patrick Nightingale, he's the executive director of the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society. We have Brent. He lives in Harrisburg. Brent, what's your question? Well, I'm not really sure what my question is. I have a bunch of thoughts swirling around my head. (laughs) Uh, You know, we have a major opioid crisis going on, and uh, a lot of deaths, you know, uh, due to this. Now, you don't hear that uh, with marijuana. And in the previous, you know, uh, few minutes, you're discussing uh, this heightened security. Does that take place with the current? pharmaceuticals if not you know what's what's this all about yeah thank thanks Brent. that's a great no that's a great question i mean i think that's <clears throat> and there's going to be more attention to this particular side of marijuana you know they use the word gateway uh it it with uh, particularly with young folks with the millennials this is this is a a, a huge potential issue uh up, well, let's start with uh, judy Brent, I will um, say that I don't believe the other facilities like CVSs, et cetera, that handle opioids have this the, the type of security that the medical marijuana industry has. I will also note that there are specific um, research and studies out there you can find very easily that have documented that every state that legalizes medical marijuana has a decrease of over 23% of opioid use. So that's huge. Medical marijuana is being used to treat opioid abuse because it will help people when they go through withdrawal with those symptoms and the cravings they have for heroin. So medical marijuana is not playing a part in inducing people to do other drugs, but actually helping people get off of those drugs. Patrick, did you want to weigh in? Yes, I was going to say that that exact same thing. In 2014, uh, researchers uh, from the University of Pennsylvania published in the (laughs) Journal of American Medicine that there was a uh, a 25% reduction in prescription opioid overdose deaths in states with uh, functioning medical cannabis programs, and they projected that to go up to a third. Now here we are in mid-2017, and I'm wondering if we could take another look at that and see an actual increase in that number. Additionally, I absolutely reject the gateway uh, drug argument. Um, The gateway drug argument was a uh, flawed and failed study from the early 1980s, And all you have to do is take a look at some of our states that have legalized recreational marijuana. Uh, Heroin use and opioid use is down in Colorado. Heroin use and opioid use is down in Washington, and it's down in Oregon. I think that we can easily look at uh, the empirical data and say that uh, expanding access to uh, cannabis uh, does not increase the risk of hard drug use, but in fact has been shown to decrease uh, the use of hard drugs. 
All right. Thanks. Uh, if you want to uh, jump into the conversation, our number here at WITF is 1-800-729-7532, or you can send us an email at smarttalk at WITF.org. All right, Heather, I want to go back to you. Uh, how are patients going to find doctors who can give them this certification? You can certainly ask <clears throat> your doctor to participate in the program. That seems fairly obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Which the doctor may or may not do. There's also going to be a listing on the Department of Health's website that says these are the doctors who are registered with the program. Two things that I think we need to make sure people know are, one, that Pennsylvania's law does not authorize smoking medical marijuana, unlike some other states, I believe. So you can get it in pills, oils, gels, creams, all that kind of thing, but you can't smoke it in Pennsylvania. Yeah, that's a good. And uh, one one other question before we move on. You can't vape it, though. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Vaporization and nebulization, yes. Yeah. But not not just straight smoking. The other thing I was going to say is that Pennsylvania's law specifically says insurance does not have to cover medical marijuana. And the people I've talked to have said if insurance doesn't have to cover it, it probably won't. So unlike opioids that people might be getting prescription painkillers chances are they will be having to pay for medical marijuana out of pocket. Yeah. This may end up being a big thing for the the lawyers here. It, doctors, if they participate in the program, they, they can't have an economic interest, as they say, in the industry. Is that correct? They've got to refrain from being directly involved. For example, they couldn't be involved with, with with CEO Franklin Labs, you know, and make an investment. Go ahead. Terry, you're absolutely right. Again, I have to applaud DOH. I have to applaud the um, Pennsylvania legislature on this. They made it very clear and very sure that doctors cannot have any conflict of interest where this is concerned. They can't invest in any of the dispensaries or laboratories, nor can they actually charge a patient for recommending medical marijuana. They will go on physicians will go on as always. They will diagnose a patient uh, based on their ailments and then decide the correct treatment, but they can't right. entice or, or try to lure people in. They cannot do um, pr- prescribe or, excuse me, certify to recommend medical marijuana over the phone. So, uh, the, again, it's very limited and, and tight control over this, this product, even where physicians are concerned. Yeah, we have a couple Sorry, of... Can I add one thing uh, right now, and it's something that I think the listeners should be aware of. No doctors uh, are yet registered with the program and are not permitted to make medical cannabis recommendations. However, there are doctors in Pennsylvania right now that are advertising online that they can either pre-certify patients or they can make medical cannabis recommendations. And they are literally stealing from Pennsylvania patients who are desperate for this type of, uh, this type yep. of help. Great. Uh, Nature's Way in Philadelphia high-tech medical uh, out of Allentown, they are operating illegally. And uh, the the Pennsylvania Medical Cannabis Society has addressed this with the Department of Health, and we're trying to uh, get some uh, traction with the Attorney General's office to investigate these people because they are 100% acting in violation of Act 16, and they're selling uh, something that they cannot possibly deliver to desperate patients. Thank you, Patrick. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Terry Madonna from Franklin and Marshall College, sitting in today for the vacationing Scott Lamar. We have a couple of phone calls. Here's, an, here's a, I think, an important one from Adrian in Hummelstown. Adrian, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I just wanted to say in, in response to the term uh, gateway drug, I think it's more accurate that it should be called an exit drug because I'm, I'm a, a caregiver and I've seen people get off of pharmaceuticals using cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's very important to uh, remind people to that it, out, can, yeah. it can be an exit drug, you know, can help people get off of yeah. other drugs that they don't actually want to be taking. Yeah, I tried to be very cautious when I said that. Sometimes called a gateway drug, uh, you make a you 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 make a great point. And also say that it helps. You have some experience with HIV that it helps immensely. Yes, yes it helps me um, be able to take my medicine um, and not have a lot of nausea and headaches, and also helps with depression. I've avoided. I've had. I've major depressive disorder. And I've been suicidal many, many times over the last 25 years, and it's kept me from committing suicide. So it's 
it's helped me alive. Well, listen, I want to thank thank you for the, the you know your personal statement. I think that's important for uh, people to hear and I hope your health uh, improves. Thanks thanks for your call. Thank you. Thank you. And we have Susan in Shrewsbury. Uh, Susan, welcome to Smart Talk. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. I have I know people that got hooked on opi- opioids following surgery and then went on to abuse drugs. And so I have had multiple surgeries. I have a neuropathy. I've repeatedly been offered some heavy-duty drugs from my various physicians and refused to fill the prescriptions because I just would rather live with pain than to have the chance that I'm going to get stuck on something. But had medical marijuana been available Mm -hmm. as an option, that would have been um, some relief. Thank you. Oh, no, th- th- thanks again for your uh, personal experience here. I think it's important for people to hear. Anybody, anybody, we have, we're, the calls are coming in pretty fast. So we're going to try to get to as many as we can, but the guests here in the studio and on the phone, the experts can uh, certainly uh, certainly weigh in. Let's, let's well, talk. Go ahead. I, I certainly believe that, uh, that offering uh, medical cannabis for chronic neuropathic <clears throat> pain is, is, is literally critical in Pennsylvania right now. We are awash in an opioid crisis. Right. Uh, stamp bags of heroin that are laced with fentanyl are $6. Right. $6 a stamp in, in Pittsburgh, uh, cheaper than a pack of cigarettes, cheaper than a cocktail. I mean, we, we are really playing with fire if our physician's only option is to give patients suffering from chronic pain uh, highly addictive opioids. And as soon as this treatment option is available, I think that it is going to be one that, uh, that patients uh, suffering from chronic pain are going to be enthusiastic to at least explore and to consider. And it may very well help us, you know, uh, uh, try to address uh, our opioid crisis by bringing fewer, few, fewer patients to prescription opioid use to begin with. Okay. Uh, thanks, Patrick. Uh, Bill, uh, you have a question. Well, I just have a, a yeah. So marijuana back in the seventies was was grown in the basement by Bob. Say, what's the difference between that and the marijuana grown today? Well, I'll let well, one of the experts. I, I'm I'm it's I've been told and I've read that it's stronger. The marijuana today is stronger than the marijuana back in the seventies. But we have a bunch of experts here. We'll let that somebody, Judy. You're looking. We want to weigh in here. Well, uh, you know, John's probably itching to weigh yeah, in. Yeah, we'll because get John he's a, he's too. a grower. But, but you're absolutely right, um, Terry. There there's different strains today. It is a real science. They can pinpoint all the different. Um, cabinoids and the uh, the THC different factors they can tweak all of those things and, and John can jump in here but uh, your your listener is absolutely right it, it is a different product today all right I'm gonna go to Andy in Hagerstown we were, we've been on this issue and and Hagerstown Maryland and he has a question he, I, th- I think Andy you've you've uh, made the point that you're confused about opioids and why it doesn't lead to opioids way in Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I certainly can. All right. I've heard your panel say that they disagree with the gateway drug theory of marijuana uh, to harder drugs like heroin and stuff. I've also heard talk about how marijuana can be used to get people off of opioids, i.e. places that have a medical marijuana program have a lower, have a reduction in opioid use. So if it is a gateway off of opioids, how is it not a gateway onto opioids? And I would also like to uh, have cleared up the people that, the places where you have a reduction in opioid use because of medical marijuana. The people are using medical marijuana to still get high, correct? Not necessarily. No, no, not necessarily. In fact, CBD doesn't have any psychoactive um, ingredient. And so people take that portion of the medical marijuana with no um, high experience, but there's still a lot of health benefits from that portion of the plant. Well, the okay, THC is also a very effective hold, hold on. One, per- one way and not the other. Thank you. Uh, All right. Th- th- thanks for your call. Um, th- that's a great question, um, but the, the motivation for going from medical marijuana to heroin and um, the reverse, going from heroin to medical marijuana, are two different motivations. People, I, I think it was Heather that talked about um, 
people getting on opioids because they're prescribed after operation or after a diagnosis. Once that prescription runs out, the person's hooked on opioids and has no alternative but to seek out something that is similar. And so they go to heroin and cocaine, etc. With medical marijuana use, you can wean yourself off of those um, horrible drugs, and there's almost zero chance of an overdose on right. marijuana, whereas opioids, the, the deaths mount up. Yeah, John, we're going to run to a break. When we come back, I want you to weigh in on the strength, the, the you know, the uh, uh, vibrancy, let me put it that way, of marijuana today compared to, uh, as we heard from the car back in the 1970s. But at the moment, you can hear today's show and previous editions of Smart Talk at WITF dot org slash podcast or with the WITF app. You can also hear the entire bro- program tonight at seven. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF. I'm Terry Madonna from Franklin and Marshall College. Welcome back to the program. We're talking about the state's medical cannabis program. And let me assure you as a novice in this, this is a very complicated business as the state gets about impl- implementing Uh, The medical marijuana program passed into law last year by the Pennsylvania legislature and signed into law, I should say, by Governor Governor uh, uh, Tom Wolf. Uh, It has overwhelming support among Pennsylvania voters in a poll that we did at F&M in 2015. And I hope you're all seated. Eighty seven percent of Pennsylvania voters Supported. It's rare to find a majority of Democrats and Republicans, as well as independents, who are on board. And we're talking with uh, four experts that are providing a great deal of, of detail and answers to your questions. John, I got to John Polhouse. I got to go to you. Marijuana. How strong is it today? Well, it's changed from putting a seed in the ground and watering it and looking at your crops to creating medicine and our facilities use over 20 strains uh, which are some have very little THC a lot of CBD so they have no psychoactive effects especially for children with seizures Um, other strains have higher THC for cancer patients dealing with Mm -hmm. a lot of pain um, which could be um, a substitute for an opioid or a painkiller. And what we're trying to do, being a high-grade pharmaceutical manufacturer, is to assist the medical community in creating exact formulations which will eventually alleviate a chronic condition in some way rather than just create a strain for it. So mm-hmm. you can, through chemistry, and we have PhDs in chemistry, um, extract all the THC, CBDs, and cannabinoids, and then reformulate them into an exact formulation so that it could be in a vape pen or a tincture or a cream where it'll have a 6 to 1 ratio of um, CBD to THC, so there's very little THC uh, for arthritis or joint pain or whatever. So the so it's, it's are, really... Basically, what you're saying is there'll be these adjustments in the strength with the various chemicals. By the way, it seems like you need to. We all need to go back and take chemistry in high school and college to understand all of this. But basically, what you're saying is this is all going to be adjusted based on the medical condition that you have. Is that? Am I wrong about Correct. that? That's exactly right. That that is the future once it gets off schedule one and the FDA has to you know, deal with this and approve it and right. approve your manufacturing processes. So that's why we have a FDA type model, um, which is a pharmaceutical grade model. All right. Uh, da- David and James, stay with us on the phone. We'll get to you next. Uh, Judy wants to make a quick comment. I, I just want to make a quick comment that um, we're talking about all this great information and we're expecting physicians to understand it. And we talked about this four hour course. I just want to um, note that the state just certified Extra Step Assurance as the company that's going to um, roll out that medical class to all the physicians. So if people are interested about what's going to be contained in that class, I encourage you to go to, I think Extra Step Assurance has a website, but they just last week got approved by the governor's office or, or the DOH to, to roll that program out. 
All right, D David, in uh, Duncanon, you have an interesting comment. You say, this thing seems like a comedy routine. <laughs> Ex explain, yeah. uh, explain what you mean by <laughs> that. Actually, it's way too complicated, <laughs> way too convoluted, and there are too many people with their hands and their tail on the way to the drug because all it's going to do is raise the cost, and most of these people are spending out of pocket for this. Our best chance at a simple, effective medical marijuana law in this state is if another state adjacent to us makes it legal and forces the issue. It's not complicated. There are plenty of people out there that are competent growers of marijuana. It's not really that difficult to figure it out. And number two, why do you need special doctors? Any doctor should be able to give you a reference for medical marijuana if they're competent medical doctor. So I just think that, unfortunately, this law got overly complicated, overly managed, because we live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I think that's the biggest problem we have right now. All right. You know, Terry, I, I was involved with the reform efforts for medical cannabis here in Pennsylvania uh, since 2009. That's when, when I became uh, involved as a volunteer activist. And I agree entirely. The uh, medical cannabis law that we have right now risks uh, uh, imposing so many additional costs on the growers and the dispensaries that patients simply won't be able to afford uh, the medical cannabis products being offered. I mean, at every step along the way, there are additional costs. Our dispensaries have to have either a physician or a pharmacist uh, on staff at uh, the time that medical cannabis products are being distributed to patients. That adds costs, necessarily, okay. uh, with, the, with the growers being responsible for their own production uh, their own manufacturing and their own transportation of medical cannabis products to the dispensaries, that adds costs. All one has to do is drive to Michigan and you see a radically different model with uh, homegrown, with homegrow and uh, caregiver and dispensaries that have resulted in uh, uh, medical cannabis prices that are cheaper than what I recall from the 1980s when the quality of the marijuana was far uh, less than it is today. Well, that appears to be a less regulated market that is very patient-friendly. Pennsylvania, because we are a very socially conservative uh, state, opted for a much more regulated model. And it's our uh, obligation mm -hmm. to make sure that this industry succeeds, because if it doesn't succeed, patients are out of luck. Yeah, he Heather, when uh, she did the research for this, uh, uh, produced some interesting results that obviously state laws are different. We've talked about that. And uh, she did write about some other, the cost, uh, the average price per ounce in some other states. Heather, tell yes. us about that. Last March, the New Jersey Department of Health did some research across six states. They found that the average price per ounce of medical marijuana was $311, with the lowest in New Mexico at $284 and the highest in New Jersey at $489. That said, Pennsylvania's law does not establish dosages or prices although the Department of Health is allowed to step in and put in a price ceiling for six months if it decides the price of medical marijuana has become unreasonable. So there are still a lot of questions out okay. there about how much things will cost. So the bottom line is, at this point, we just can't be sure. The average pa the patient can't be sure. And as you point out, looking to your health insurance, uh, you know, your coverage may not be the best way to, to go not. at this point. Is that correct? Correct. All right. We've got, I think James has an interesting question. He lives in Washington County. We've not covered this, this aspect of it before. James, welcome to Smart Talk. Hello, sir. I was a practical nurse in the state, and I'm disabled, and I have HIV, and I've been living since 1985, and I, it's contributed to smoking marijuana to keep me alive. And if I have to buy it, just speak easy down in the, in the ghetto. I'll get it that way. And I think you're dragging your feet. And this side of the state is not socially conservative, but I hate to tell you so. My name is Mr. Package, and you have a good day. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, we want to try to, we have a couple of minutes left. I want to get to Angela in Carlisle. Angela, what's your question? Yeah, I just have a quick question. I, I've seen, like, mixed reviews on the research, and I was just kind of wondering, like, an expert opinion on, like, marijuana's ability to reduce migraine symptoms. 
Okay, Judy. I will say that on our website, we have a chart of all the 17 conditions that Pennsylvania has um, authorized for treatment by medical marijuana. And on that same chart, you will see um, a citation to the research that supports it. And so I don't, so I just encourage you to go there and and take a look at it for your specific condition. All right. And in the, in the, two minutes or so that we we have left let's try to bring this to a summary i'm going to ask everybody for uh what what is that the 15 second response to a question what what, what's what's the most important thing you would say about what happened what you learned on today's program let's start with heather i think it comes back to what i started saying that there are a lot of questions that remain to be seen as we move toward full implementation of the program that the Judy. state the, that the state has to do more to help physicians get certified and get um, educated. John, the f- that that I believe that's true. Um, New Jersey has the highest costs because they have so few patients in the program, like six thousand patients in a huge state like that. So everything starts and stops with patients being able to get access, and that's that's education of doctors and integration in the program. Patrick? Not only is patient access critical, patient participation is critical. If patients cannot afford the medical cannabis products or if the medical cannabis products are of a type uh, or uh, variety that patients simply do not want to purchase, then our industry will fail. So we must continue to work to ensure Mm -hmm. that patients have access to high quality medication at a price point that is affordable. Well, I want to thank our guest today. I think this was a wonderful program in the sense that this is very complicated. There are many aspects to it. I hope that this also raised questions for our listeners. They can obviously call their lawmakers and check in with the experts, and, and we have them. Uh, Heather Stauffer, who's with LNP News, Judy Castle, she's with Cannabis Law PA, John Polhouse, he's this He's with Franklin Labs. He's the CEO of Franklin Labs, Patrick Mightingale. He's the executive director of the Pennsylvania Medical Society, Cannabis Society. I better get that correct. You can hear today's show and the previous editions of Smart Talk at WITF.org slash podcast or with the WITF app. You can also hear the entire program tonight at 7. I'm Terry Madonna. Thank you for being with us. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support for this program comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a valuable and trusted resource for the communities we serve. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by Pinnacle Health, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on Pinnacle Health's achievements in patient safety can be found at pinnaclehealth.org quality.